Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, we're black, we're brown. Wait, we're back, we're black, we're brown. Ambition. Hey, Mandra. And all black and brown lives matter. All, yes. all, all. Um, I've loved the little tweak that people are making to that hashtag now. All black lives matter. Um, yes. It's one of the highlights of the week. I am, you know what? I have tapped into my college freshman self. I feel okay. like a bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, 18-year-old Mandy Lee out of the house, <laughs> let loose on a campus an hour and a half away, and so excited to sign up for all the career fair, you know, not career fair, all the activities at the activities fair, you know, when you're a freshman. <laughs> but I don't have the stamina that I quite did, so I think I've signed up for a few too many things the past week, and I am tired. But it's a good kind of tired. I feel... I know that there are so many people and you have every right to be exhausted and just drained and sad. And I know that there are plenty of you. I mean, listen, I'm from Atlanta and my heart is bleeding for that city. My family is there. My brother was out there in the streets protesting yet another killing this time. Um, A young man named Rayshard Brooks, um, who just, you know, (laughs) you guys have probably seen the video. I don't, we don't have to get into it, but there's a lot of heaviness out there. What I will say is I've chosen, I've chosen to, and this is going to sound kind of like crappy, but I gen, I feel like we have to take advantage of people's guilt, y'all. And you know what mm. people I'm talking about. <laughs> and people are feeling real sorry because they are this, they are been forced to face themselves in the mirror for the first time and face their own, their own, what do you call it? Um, their own complicity in allowing these types of things to continue and people are acknowledging, oh, shit, I could have done something all this time yes. and I never – why did I never – What do I think this is – did I think this was okay all this time? And they're really – people – and I'm talking not just about people like in my family, um, but, but companies too. Uh, a lot of businesses out there are trying to talk to their employees, talk to the public, and rise to this occasion. And for me – for me, it feels like a call to action. I really have felt this calling. Um, I know I joked about it, but I feel like if you're out there and you want to be an ally, I'm not quite I, – I, we all have every reason to be cynical about the people who are stepping up now, reaching out a hand to lift us up. Why weren't you here, you know, hundreds of bodies ago? Why weren't mm-hmm. you here decades ago? 
they're here now. And I personally have chosen to go with hope and I've chosen to go with optimism. I've chosen to reach out, grab their hand, but pull them where I want them to go and lead them the direction that I want to go. And I, and I think if, if you're not tired enough and, and, or you're not tired and you're not exhausted, I encourage you to look at this as an opportunity. This is the moment. Finally, people are listening. So what can we ask for? What can we, what can we do to lift Black Americans up at this time. Um, and that is, yeah, that's how I'm doing. But it's been a, it's been a hell of a week. Um, but it feels good. It's like, a, it's like when you work out, which, you know, I don't do anymore, but <laughs> it heard. feels good. Yeah. I just, you know, <laughs> what about you? What's happening in the budget needs to land? Um, I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, I think opening up talking about like, what does it look like to be an ally is just a great opening because I, um, I did this. This movement called Share the Mic Now. Mm-hmm. Um, some of y'all may have synced it. It was awesome. Um, it was put together by uh, Lovey, um, my friend Lovey, my friend Bozema, and uh, like Stacey Bennett, I think, of Alex and Olivia. And who, um, oh, there was another woman's name. I'm sorry. I'm forgetting her name. Basically, two, four, two white women, two black women decided, let's get together and do something to amplify the voices of black women. And so what they did was, they found 50 black women and 50 white women and the white women uh, had like a collective audience size of like something insane, like 280 million or something like that. And so they had everyone from Ellen to um, Kourtney Kardashian to Julia Roberts to um, uh, just uh, like uh, um, just every type of woman uh, to Hillary Clinton to Chelsea Handler, I mean, some of the largest names that you know out there. And um, they they gave their platform for the day, their Instagram platform to a uh, black woman that they were paired with. I was paired with soccer superstar, Ashlyn Harris. She's totally badass. And um, she uh, she was in the, she won the FIFA World Cup with her and her team last year. And then I think in 2015, um, she and her um, and her wife live in Florida. She plays soccer for the Orlando Pride. Honestly, she's just dope all around. So we got on the phone ahead of time, and she was like, "Honestly, Tiffany, do whatever you need to do." Like I was like, "Well, how's your audience gonna take it?" She's like, "No, they're used to me standing up. I stand up for LGBTQ rights all the time, and mm-hmm. um, and I stand up for um, Black Lives Matter as well." So I was a little nervous. So I started off like, "Yeah, you guys." Not to interrupt you, but to interrupt you, I watched and the, and it was, I wondered, because you posted on her account throughout the day and I wondered how you picked, because this was a big opportunity for you. Yes. And I, and you were so articulate. I know you had some technical difficulties, but on the other end, coming in and watching it after you'd, st- I, it didn't, don't worry, because I thought it was great. It was still fantastic. But I did wonder, how did you pick and choose the stories you shared with that audience? Because, you know, it was, it was a moment to rise um, um, to the so occasion. So beforehand, Ashley and I spoke on the phone the day before and she, you know, I just told her, what do you think is going to be most impactful? And she was like, honestly, storytelling. And I said, I agree. That's my natural nature anyway. But I wanted to see with her audience because who would know best? And so once we just decided that, like, you know, storytelling is going to be super impactful, I really sat with myself and I said, what is it that I want people to take away from this? Folks that the point of taking over a uh, an Instagram account of a white woman is because her audience is likely not to know me. Mm-hmm. And so I get to be in front of an audience so they can hear me and see me because you love this particular woman and you follow her. Um, and so I decided I wanted to open up with just some facts 
Um, that was like my well, my first everybody's first post had to be about themselves. Like, you know, allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is B, right? So that's what I did, my first post. My second post, I really wanted to um to share some facts, but easily digestible facts about how on every aspect of life, race um plays a a role um in a way that negatively um, impacts African-Americans. So whether it's employment, whether it's health, whether it's even a student, like black children are three times more likely to be suspended, you know, even healthcare, um, that doctors, 67% of doctors said they have a bias against African-American patients. That's crazy. 67%. Um, so I just wanted to share like those, like something that people can visually see. And so I shared that first and then I thought, okay, how do I get people to see that racism it's not just the dead black bodies you see on social media. Right. It's the systematic thing. And so the second post I did was myself when I was, um, when I f- experienced my first overt experience with racism when I was nine and I was followed in a store. And basically the lady told me to get out because I was black. Nine. Like knock need, like I had like a Jericho Afro, not intimidating, you know, like just nine years old. And I ran home to tell my mother and she told me that she too had been put out of that store in Westfield, New Jersey. Shout out to Barron's. Hey, bitch. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was the second. That's um, the opposite of a shout out. <laughs> I know. Um, and then from there, I was like, okay, now I have to take over. I think the third post I did um, was just like, hey, I'm going to go live tonight. So when I went live and sharing the stories, I really wanted to illustrate that racism wasn't just this like getting punched in the face, getting that it was these like these seemingly innocuous, 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 oh my goodness, I swear no words. Right? You these- pass through, well, you used to probably go to Manhattan through the Oculus. Which uh, yes, is, I was you know, I don't even know what it is. The shopping mall at (laughs) the Freedom Tower area. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) So they don't seem so big, but they add up. So I shared stories like from when I was really young because I wanted them to be bite-sized. I shared stories from when my sister was in second grade and someone wrote on a wall in the bathroom, my baby sister, Lisa. And Mm -hmm. we lived in Westfield where I grew up as majority white town. So some kids said it was Lisa. It was not. But that wasn't the hard part. The hard part was they brought her into them principal's office and they basically threatened her and said they were going to call the police on a second grader. Mm. Meanwhile, did never call my parents. She's hysterical crying. They're like, you did do it. Sent her back to class. She comes home later on that day crying and telling my mom what happened. I mean, my mother, the way she flew down to the school the next day, she let them know, I'm going to call every news station, every magazine, every, every outlet possible and tear this place up. But that, so I wanted to show that like, second graders getting the police called on them because someone said you run in the bathroom wrong. That's what it is to be black, you know, in this country. And I, I moved up to when I was in college and how we were talking, my friends and I were talking to some boys outside. We were all teenagers, maybe like 19 at most, and how the police pulled up. And the boys lived in the city in, um, in New Brunswick. It's a very college town. And the boys, the, the police pulled up and we were just talking. I didn't think anything of it until the boys got up and spread their legs and their arms and, and and leaned against the gate as if this was just what happens every day because it did. That every day, a couple times a day, the police pull up and they're expected to be inspected yeah, like modern day slaves. And I was like, this was like, I mean, I'm 40. This was 20 years ago, you know? And then now when getting my house appraised because my, my, I was, 
it was always my intention to have my white friend pretend to be me because I know that homes of of black folks are um are not appraised as high and sometimes discounted to up to 23 to 25%. And sure enough, you know, I had a realtor come in before and sure enough we came in. She told me at least 400,000 but likely up to 425 and we got uh 390. And I was like, and I, I couldn't have my white friend, Catherine, pretend to be me because it was quarantine. So I was just like, but you know, like, it's just, I wanted people to just see that, you know, racism takes different forms. And so it was just really powerful. And what I have to say this about Ashlyn's audience, they were amazing. I mean, it's one thing to post something on a page and read, but to go live and not one negative comment. I just, I told her it was a testament <laughs> to her character and how she shows up because their audience, her audience was like, um, thank you so much. I'm here to learn. I can't believe it. What can I do? And then what, something that was really important with share the mic was that they also wanted you to provide two solutions. So I shared two solutions about what you can do as an ally. And one is to, um, be a Mr. Daya. That was my next door neighbor. When, um, somebody tried to burn our house down and the police tried to blame it on us and said, my sister, Lisa, same Lisa, had a blowtorch. It just was ridiculous. And um, But Miss Dedea, who's white, she went to bat for us, and she used her privilege as a shield. Um, and because of her, they listened, and because of her, we got everything we were supposed to get, and because of her, we were protected. And so be a Miss Dedea. Use yourself as a shield because the consequences for you as a white person is not, are not the same as it is for, for someone who's black. And secondly, I said, vote with your dollars, that your money and your spending should be in alignment with your values. That if a company is disparaging against black folks, LGBTQ, something that you just know is not to, not right, then why are you spending money with them? That we can shut down almost anything by just refusing to patronize them. So those are my two solutions. But honestly, it was just really powerful. I mean, really powerful. I think they got over a billion impressions from Share the Mic Now. And you can learn more their their IG is um, at share the mic now, and you can learn more and see some of our stories there. And you can go to um, if you haven't watched my my um, my share the mic now video, Ashlyn is A S H L Y N Harris H A R R I S twenty four. I guess that's her number. So Ashlyn Harris twenty four, and you can see my brown face all up on her IG um, um, feed, and um, and you can see like what happened. It was awesome. What I loved about the talk that you gave was that, well, the story that broke my heart the most is one that you didn't just mention in your recap, which was about your little sister. It was, was it Tracy or Lisa? Lisa, who, probably. Lisa, who went to school and was put into classes that were not, they yes. were like remedial or yep. just the basic classes. And she was basically underestimated from the minute that she went to that new school, right? Mm -hmm. That's absolutely, I mean, that, and I think each of your stories if you really look at it, and this is so true to your platform and, and what you stand for, it you were sharing how the simple, the simple color of your skin, something that is out of your control, can literally set you behind economically. Yeah. So imagine if your mother had not gone to that school and advocated for your sister like she did to get her put in classes um, that were, you know, that matched her level, um, mm -hmm. that matched her intelligence. She would have been maybe not prepared for college, mm -hmm. um, you know, that may or she might have been prepared, but her 
her, um, I almost said resume. What do you call it in school? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your, she wouldn't have your taken Your transcript. Those. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't have the classes that maybe they wanted you to have at the certain college you wanted to go in. And then you just, it's a domino effect. And, it is. And the point about homeownership, you know. If you, if your house is undervalued, like you shared about your parents for years and years and years, I mean, that is diminishing returns on your investment. I mean, your race is actively working against the growth of your investment. It's just, and it, it's important. It's, and storytelling is very important. And I, I, I thank you for sharing because it's fucking hard to, I mean, I could tell you were raw. I think I texted you after like, God, I hope you are somewhere just... Doing whatever it is that makes you relax because it's exhausting to to give to relive those experiences which are traumatic and you've worked so hard to get past them and yet people still need to hear them. And that is what has been proven. People need to know these personal stories in order for them to feel the empathy that is required for them to take action. Yeah. And yeah, so I commend you for that and thank you for it because. Those 700,000, however many followers she had, however many people tuned in, those are people who are walking away with a better, like, like you, you forced them to see you and mm. she helped force them to see you. And that movement is so great. And I hope, I hope there's more of that. And that is, me too. that is the definition of allyship. Um, when you, when you get out of the way, when you put someone else, put a spotlight on someone who deserves and doesn't usually get a spotlight, whose stories are maybe not as palatable um, to your audience, but by virtue of your own endorsement of them or you stepping aside and mm-hmm. putting them in front of your people that you help them be seen and heard. And I wish p- more people understood that, people who wanted to be an ally. It's not about you using the hashtag. It's not about you retweeting or sharing. It's about... How can I, and it's as simple as, I love that anecdote about your neighbor. Yeah. It's as simple, and it's fucking sad that she had to do that for you, but, and your family, but it's about, you know, in whatever moment you have, how can you help lift someone up and recognize that you have something to offer them just because people see you and and, and see you differently, and they see them much differently based on this color, the color of their skin. And um, yeah, I, I... So let's talk more about allyship because I know it is such a loaded word and there's this new phrase, not new, but the phrase that's going around now is performative allyship, Mm. which is to be, uh, we should all be very weary of performative allyship. And what, how would you describe performative allyship? These damn listeners. companies in my inbox talking about Black Lives Matter, but you have nobody <laughs> Black on your board or who works in any position of power. Like, yeah. please miss me with that. It's like when all these brands who years ago when I reached out to them said, I want to help Black women. And they were like, oh, girl, no. Now they beg me literally. If you see my inbox, like Ebony, my admin is like, what is this? I'm like, mm. <laughs> It's called the thirst girl and they don't care. And so I don't care. Like that's why you rarely see me partner with anyone because quite honestly, where were you when we really needed the help? Now that I got my, now that I got my folks, I got them. They good. So that's what it is. It's, it's when you say a thing, but you don't do a thing that Mm -hmm. is performance allyship. So it sounds like you're totally like for businesses that are stepping up now or not stepping up. That sounds like they're doing something, but for businesses that are looking for a way to respond to this moment, do you generally look at them with that level of cynicism? 
Like what's what's a what's an example of a business that maybe is doing something that could because I you want to people to feel called to the moment, but I I totally get it. You know, they're not walking the walk. There it's lip service. You know. Yes. So but, a business, yeah. an ideal business, right? Who is not performing as an ally because they were an ally before, during, and after is Ben and Jerry's, like. They, those are some G's, boy. Like, interesting. Ben, yes. Have you seen their IG? Yo, they bout that life. I can't say I've ever thought to follow them. Yes. <laughs> I do enjoy their non-dairy selection. Yes. They have improved it over the years. They are my yes. ally in lactose intolerance. <laughs> Continue. And so if you go to Ben and Jerry's website, they have this whole educational component for Black Lives Matter. That's why I pulled a lot of the visuals that I used on Ashlyn's page from Ben and Jerry's ice cream page. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like they have all of this research they posted. I mean, they've been about that life. But Ben, like if you, they're, um, they were interviewed for How I Built This, um, a podcast that we like. But they have always been, they're old school hippies. So they've always been like, you know, anti-establishment and what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong. And so- I mean, they are, I mean, if I had to say an A++ gold star ally, it's Ben and Jerry's. That is amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm glad to hear you say that because I do think that there are some companies and you're right, but then there are the ones that, that maybe haven't done anything or there's, there's an, there's over, what, what, what was it? I feel like Silicon Valley, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I forget now, had that big wave where they started publishing diversity stats and it was appalling. It was like 1% mm -hmm. of your staff is black, like thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, and it was, just, it was just replicated across Silicon Valley. And that put a lot of pressure on corporations to step up. And so you saw people appoint heads of diversity or, you know, uh, start departments dedicated to within human resources dedicated to inclusion and having, you know, trainings and unconscious bias and things like that. But still, I, I genuinely don't think those things move the needle at all because it was just sort of a box you could tick. And also on, on the list of priorities for a big company, whether private or public, often there is no one preaching the value in diversity. And diversity is an indirect, it has indirect value on a company's bottom line. And companies are so used to focusing on how do I spend a dollar and get 10? Like, give me that idea. And it's, you know, advertising or just very like straight, that straight idea of capitalism is what drives them. And so when it comes to issues of inclusion and diversity, it's just not always in the top of the list. How has your company showed up that do you feel comfortable in the way they showed up? I know we talked about you feeling nervous about, yeah. you know, wanting to ask for a moment of silence. How are you feeling now about it? And wasn't that telling? I've had to reflect on the way that I felt. So I can't say that my company has been doing great because I, as an employee, was nervous to do a moment of silence to acknowledge the death of another Black man and to acknowledge the protests and everything that was going on. That being said, I I believe, and you know, I work for a company that's not on the scale of Amazon, it's not massive, but it has, you know, hundreds of employees. And I've been there three years. So I feel like I've got some, I have definitely, and I've been watching and I've been listening and I've been in those rooms when they have, you know, acknowledged, oh hey, you know, we understand our C suite is white guy, white guy, white guy, white guy. And the act of acknowledging it, I could tell to them felt like progress. Like, oh, look at us. We're great. We acknowledge that we know there's a problem. Look at us. We understand we're white. Hey, we see color. We know. But still, there was no action behind it. And I'm busy building my little team, taking advantage of my, you know, taking advantage of my position, hiring 
I don't know, at least a couple dozen people over the last three years and doing it purposefully in a way that was inclusive. And that's why you see my team now is 40% Black, Indigenous, or or person of color, BIPOC is what I'm calling it. I don't know if you can say BIPOC, but that's how I've been pronouncing it. (laughs) They BIPOC. And that is not evident to me across the company. So for me, I think there's a lot of good intentions at my company, but I have not seen actions. And so I I hopped on the phone with one of my colleagues who (laughs) he... Yeah. Talk about like, the what's the opposite of imposter syndrome? This guy walks through the world and God bless him. God bless him because he walks through the world like, and what are you going to give me today? And I used to think he was kind of a dick, but honestly, I have so much respect for him because he, he actually, he actually encourages me to kind of have, I'm not going to go to that level because... Not, you know, being a woman and having that attitude, it will not get you, mm-hmm. honestly, it's sad to say, it's not going to get me very far. I'll become a bitch in a minute, according to everyone who <laughs> interacts with me. But anyway, I talked to him and I found out that he was going to be emailing the CEO. And I started to think, like, I have something to say here. And I and I saw, you know, human resources starting, they were doing these, um, you know, group, small group discussions on Zoom. And there was a Slack channel, diversity and inclusion with hundreds of people in it. And it was, I'm sorry, a lot of non-Black people talking about what they've learned. And it got very annoying very quickly. So I muted it. So I, I sat down and I and I thought, I'm like, what, what can I, what can I ask for? I have had a unique position in this company where I've been able to hire and I've seen, I've seen where we're falling short and I'm tired of it. And I, and I, I can feel that they want to do something more than just send an email out. Um, and so I, I sent, I penned an email to, I penned, I typed an email to <laughs> our CEO, let's be real. Okay. And there were six points in my email and I'll go through them really quickly because I think if you are in a position of, and you don't think you need to be, this is the beautiful thing about this moment. I think any, like it gives you, if you're a person of color in a company, there's many of us out there. Okay. And if you feel like if you're at a town hall and they have an open mic, I think we have, there's a little bit of like this halo of protection around us right now. I, I And you're, you know your company better than I do, but I do feel like it is being championed and celebrated people of color speaking up and calling out their companies right now. So I would be a little bit braver than usual um, if you feel like you have something to say to your company, whether it's an email or, you know, speaking up at an open mic or whatever. But here are the six things that I asked for based on my experience. So one, publish diversity statistics on employees because people like I, I pay attention to that and I actively try to improve it on my team. But, you know, it's a, it's work and it's already hard enough recruiting. And I know it's not going to happen until we as a company face the music. What are our diversity stats? What what are the demographics of our workers and where do we where do we stand and where, you know, how can we improve? Those have not been published. They've been talked about. I think they exist. They haven't been published. The next one is commit to inclusive hiring practices and training. This is key. Training for hiring managers and unconscious bias because a lot of companies, you know, they, they give people hi- power to hire people, but they when you don't set people up in a way that helps them recognize their own their own bias and the way that they're recruiting people or who they're going to to recruit people. Um, and whether you work for a company or you own your own business, the same applies. This is how you end up with executives that all look the same or employees across the board who all look the same because of recruiting practices. And this is a big one for me. I personally 
worked very hard. I mean, it took me six months to recruit my number two, which is a senior position on my company, because I was determined. I wasn't determined to turn down people who weren't people of color, but I was determined to cast my net wide enough so that I felt like I had enough people of color in the mix just mm. just to like have a shot at it, you know? Mm-hmm. And a very and very few people, in my opinion, take that time and have that patience. But I, you know, it's not a and and people will I know that they will maybe not our listeners, but if someone were to hear this who is more conservative um, or maybe the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, makes them nervous for whatever reason because, oh, no, there's not enough for everybody and they're going to take mine. The mentality is that, oh, well, you're just taking away jobs from people who are qualified. No. And this is a very important point. The key to inclusive uh, inclusive hiring is that you are casting a wide enough net so that everyone starts from the same position and you are getting more people than what you may get by just reaching out to the person you know at your last job or reaching mm-hmm. out to your alma mater. You are purposefully putting people in the pool that are reflective of the population so that you have a chance to run across people who are not just one type of person. And I think that's very important. And it, it requires it requires you to admit and make it okay to say, I see color. Or I may have a bias against certain names. Like the data is out there. We have yes, it. Yes, you know. We do. So we need to recognize that and train people for it because I think it's irresponsible not to. And um, anyway, so the third thing, I know I said it'd be quick, but here I am. Improve <laughs> how we recruit and retain BIPOC talent, retain Black talent. It's not just about getting them in the door. You need to understand they may not feel welcome. They may not feel safe. They may not feel confident in raising their hand, asking for what they need to work. They may feel isolated if there's not very uh, much diversity. They may be facing microaggressions every day. You need to make it a safe place for them. And so I ask not just to improve retainment, but let's look at attrition rates of Black employees. What can we glean from exit interviews? Why are they leaving? What do they say? Let's talk about that and let's face and commit to making them feel more included, you know, and there's small things that you can do to do that. Commit to eliminating pay disparity for black employees, people of color in the company. This is a big one and it can be done. And maybe companies are doing it in the background, but actually telling, like being transparent about it, telling your employees, hey, we have consultants or we have whoever looking at pay inequities across our company, that kind of thing matters. And I've been at, and it's not just the company I'm working for now, but when it comes to deciding compensation, you have to look at who is in that room, who's at the table, and who values what. Are there people at the table who value things like pay equity? Because I'm telling you now, I have had to fight, 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 fight to get equal pay for people on my team over the years. And often I'm the one who cares the most, and I'm just annoying enough to get it done. It shouldn't have to be that way, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's a big one. Um, showing a commitment to the advancement of black employees in the company. So this is key. And this is not just for black employees. It's for every employee. Like you need to level the playing field. And one way to do that is to explain how the game works. It should not be a mystery because you do not have the benefit of having an uncle or a cousin or a friend from college who had been there before you or know someone who knows someone who knows how it works and can like, you know, take you aside and explain, you know, how negotiation works or how do promotions work or how do you get to the C-suite? How do you get to the C-suite? Like how? And why is it a secret? Why should it be? I think education and knowledge is the great equalizer or one of them. And you should give that to your employees so that the path is clear for everyone. And 
employers can't answer that question, that is a real clear sign to me that there is issues there. There, if you're not, if you're not dictating and and able to explain to me the career path, then how he or she or whoever got to the top, if it doesn't make sense or if it's happening for random reasons, then you're actively, I think, working against underrepresented employees, especially black employees. That's just, I, I, I just can't, I can't sit and and know that as, as a company, we're not transparent about that kind of thing and telling people, here's how you do it. Like, it just shouldn't be a secret. And the last one, and this is one that I encourage people to look at because you may not realize this, but many, many corporations out there have political action committees. Do we know what a PAC is? No. Political action committees. So this is, you know how there's limits on how much you can donate to a a political uh, candidate? You Mm -hmm. personally, Tiffany, or as a business. So what they do is they set up a political, not they, but you can set up a political action committee and then people can contribute to that. And that's how you can have, like you have PACs for all different kinds of ideologies, all different kinds of businesses and industries, like a PAC that supports reproductive rights is going to raise money and then give it to candidates who, who have policies in line with their beliefs. So my company has a PAC. And it's one of those, it's an open secret. Literally, you can go to opensecrets.org, look up the name of your company and find out if they have a PAC and if they have a PAC, who they're contributing to. And in my in the email to our company, our CEO said that he supported Black, Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. he wanted to be an ally. I'm not quoting him directly, but that was the message. I want to be an ally. I'm here to help. I believe in this cause. I believe in racial equality. I have a lot to learn. Okay. I went to OpenSecrets.org, looked at who we contributed dollars to, and no, I didn't recognize all their names or senators from local races, house, you know, legislators from all over. So what you can also do, and I recommend this, open a new tab and go to the NAACP scorecard because they have a beautiful PDF where they literally give every senator and every uh, representative in the House a grade on how they vote according to NAACP um, important issues. So usually issues of civil rights um, and racial justice. So I could look and I could and I could compare and see the vast majority of candidates our PAC contributed to scored an F. Wow. So do you and you talked about Tiffany, like uh, voting with your dollars. Mm -hmm. This is literally a company voting with its dollars. And corporations often, you know, big businesses, of course, they and we're in the financial sector. Of course, you want to support policies and and candidates who probably have more um, leniency toward tax structure, corporate tax structure, um, real estate, if you're building a new office or whatever. I, I get that. But if you're going to tell your employees that you really and truly care about these issues impacting the black community, that does not jive to me. That to me is hypocrisy at its at its highest level. And I called that out. And I'm not the only one um, at the company. It's it's just, it's one of those things that like people have asked about or it's known, but I never really had a good answer for it. And I'm fine. I'm tired of it now. I'm like, tell me why. Why do we need to contribute to these campaigns or these these candidates if they're not in line with the issues that you say are important to you? Exactly. Because you vote with your with your dollars. A thousand you, hundred percent. Yes. Your money is in alignment with what you truly think and feel. And yeah. so what you're telling us is that you say one thing, but you're doing another. So why shouldn't I, why should I show up fully for this place and space? Yeah. So one of the things we did for, um, because you know, my company's largely, I mean, there's literally one person that's not African-American and, uh, 
<laughs> I know. It's honestly, it's been like today, you know, we're taping on Monday. So on Monday, um, you know, well, I don't know if y'all know, but we have our Monday um, mental health check-in Mondays. And we just, honestly, we did a lot of venting because all last week, because it was just so heavy. So last week, I basically gave the whole company the week off. I was like, yo, hug your babies, relax, chillax. So we rotated, like, so you knew what days that, you know, because we it was such short notice. So we did three days off. So you met with your team lead and they organized a schedule when you had your three days off. And we plan on, ideally, I want to do a full, full week where, you know, but it was just like I said, literally it was like a Thursday. And I was like, you know what, next week, let's take three days off each just to Wusan that whole week. And we did. So it was so nice to slow down. Mm. So much so even today, we had our calls and stuff. We weren't all backed up like we usually are. We didn't have like a ton of things. It's just... There's just so much going on and it's so heavy. And I wanted to honor the fact that you are a human being and you feel and you're afraid and you're scared and you're frustrated and you're angry and you're mad. We talk about it on Slack. Like, yo, you see this BS? Like, you know, we, you are free to express yourself completely and fully. Um, and it's honestly expected, but it's, I get it. It's different because it's black folks talking to black folks. It's funny. The only one non-black person has not said anything, which is hilarious, I guess. <laughs> um <laughs> He's keeping it light, I suppose, in more ways than one, which is funny. But whatever. But I'm you here. <laughs> You're here. So, you know, you'll, you know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe to be fair, maybe he just feels uncomfortable. Like, I'm, it's not my place to say anything. Um, but you will listen because we talk about it in our team meetings. We talk about it. And we will continue to talk about it because we serve Black women. So how dare we not honor the fact that this is a community that has long since suffered. And... um and it, something needs to be said. One of the things I said that someone told me resonated with them when I took over Ashlyn's IG account is that I said, you know, it hit me that, which is also a very ironic word, that I and myself and other Black African Americans are are in a, a abusive relationship with the with America. Hmm. That because I was wondering to myself, why am I so angry, so sad, so frustrated? I mean, this is not the first time something like this has happened, but this time felt different. And I realized that you, we have been getting, I have been getting hit my whole life by America, right? So like second grade, third grade, fourth grade, I mean, my whole life, nine years old, get out, nigga, when I used to work at, at Bally's at 19, like- just my whole life hit, hit. And sometimes you duck and you dodge and you, you, and, but you've normalized the abuse because it happens so consistently. This happens. So you adjust, you say, okay, in order to not get abused here, I'm going to have my white friend Catherine come and I'm going to put away all my black pictures. Okay. In order to this, I'm going to make sure that I go to this school and I'm going to make sure that I'm not too loud. Okay. In order to be like, we make these adjustments to minimize the abuse and we normalize that. And what this, what's happened now is that you couldn't, it's like someone, you were at your doctor's office sitting in the, in the examination room with no clothes on and all of your bruises, some of them faded, some of them fresh, some of them new, you are fully bruised up and now you're exposed. That's why, that's why there's such this rage and anger and sadness, this universal, just I'm over it is because you finally look down and you just see just how much abuse you've taken and you realize it's not normal. It's and not you normal. S- you also feel, you remember things that you, that you forgot. Like, yeah. do, have you had those? I've heard from people time and again, 
I thought this was normal. Now, when I look at it through the lens of what we're going through now, that's not okay. That wasn't okay. But you're right. It became so normal. And just to get through the day, just like you, you would, it would protect yourself to get through another work week. Just get me to Friday. Just make it payday. I'll leave these people behind. And it's, it's sad. It's very, no, you're right. It's very, very sad. Yeah, knowing like even grown as I am now, as much money as I have in my bank account now, I dare not touch something in certain stores if I'm not buying it mm. because it's going to be a problem. Like that's crazy. There's something to be said around living around black folks. I was considering moving from Newark. And if I do move, I'm certainly moving to another black city because I refuse because I love going to Whole Foods and the security guard is black. He's like, what up, sis? I'm like, what up? The the cashier is black. The 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 stock boy is black. I'm not followed. I don't feel any kind of way. Like I honestly, more now than ever, I realized that because I grew up in an all white town and, um, and I understand why my parents brought us there because the school system was so great, but I don't want it. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it just took an emotional toll in exchange for that education. It's like, it took such an emotional toll. And I look at my husband and there ain't no way in hell you know, it's hard enough living across the street from the neighbors, right? But ain't no way in hell that I'm putting him through, like, to live in a different neighborhood, putting him through what that would look like when 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 his nephew comes to visit or when, you know, my sister comes to visit and, like, you being followed, the neighbors call the police on you and your own house. I'm just not with it. And so, yeah, it's just, that's why allyship is so important. That's why you've heard Black folks say that this is not a problem that we can fix because I can't fix the fact that someone says my house is worth less because I'm Black. Someone mm-hmm. has to step in. Someone has to be Miss Dedea. And the way that a- it is now, they're white. People mm-hmm. in power are white. And so it's not until they recognize the, until they recognize the power they have and that they have something to contribute and they can make meaningful change, which... I, hopefully I hope it's happening now. We can't do it alone. And that's why it's been so fucking exhausting because you feel like you're fighting and banging your fist, you know, at the very bottom of the ladder. It's like, one thing I will say that, like though something happened in the comments when I shared the story about my house, someone was like, I'm a president of a, of a, of a credit union and I did not know of those stats. He said, I am going to, when I get back, I'm going to talk to my team about looking at our appraisal process and what we can do to help circumvent that. Yo, I could have wept Hmm. I could have wept with joy because sometimes people don't know because it's not happening to you. You're not getting hit. So you don't realize other people are getting hit every day. And so just hearing that, that's allyship. That's allyship. I hear you. I see you. I'm listening. I act. That is allyship. And I encourage, I mean, you... You know, I I will bring up. I know my mom is listening to the podcast now, which makes me very like makes me very <laughs> self conscious because I'm like, mom, oh, we talk about race a lot. Anyway, <laughs> but we had a very frank discussion with with as a family this week. My mom is white, my sister is white, my my little brother and I are biracial. Anyway, but we had like a like a two and a half hour conversation, and my mom is really going through it. It is like she has she has woken up to her own privilege and. It's all hitting her at once. And we're trying to like, I'm very happy for her, but I'm just like, you need to just, you know, you have a lot to educate yourself on. You need to catch up. Uh, we are happy for you, but you need to do this on your own time. And there's a lot of willingness out there and a, and a lot of um, a lot of willingness for white Americans to finally admit that the story that they've been telling themselves, the story that the America has told them for so long, that you got where you got because you're good and you're better and you are more educated and you're smarter and you deserve it and you worked hard. And everyone who's not here, often black Americans, lazy, 
always asking for things. Don't rely on any, you know, rely on other people to give them what they need. That toxic mentality. Mm-hmm. And then I know a lot of white people, you know, I've grew up around them my whole life. I mean, not that they're this endangered species, obviously they're majority, but who who believe that, that toxic mentality? And that you really have got to, it takes work. You have got to actively rewire your brain to look at a black family, to look at a black girl in the second grade coming to your school and tell your brain, this person has great potential. I don't need to make any assumptions about this person not being ready for that or, you know, being this type of person because of the color of their skin. I And it, it, you have to acknowledge color. You have got to see it. You've got to admit that color changes the way you perceive people. Forgive yourself, I guess, for having this toxic mentality and then commit yourself to doing your every day, doing the work of changing it. It's not going to be an overnight change. It's not because we're not, it's not all people out there with nooses running around in KKK robes. That mm-hmm. is racism, but it is the intrinsic systemic racism mm-hmm. it's built into the fabric of our life every day that truly is killing and damaging people. And it's it's very, very important. And yeah, the, the one thing I do want to say, just to wrap up uh, to, my, to the credit of the people that I work with is I do have a meeting with the CEO next week along with a couple other people and we'll see what happens. But I want that to be you know, for those who are listening and work for a corporation, you're, you're thinking about sending a similar email or speaking up at a town hall or whatever, there is some hope. I, you know, I'm, I'm walking into this meeting with an open mind and I genuinely believe that the people I work with are great and well-meaning and we have so much potential. And if it can't happen here, I kind of feel like it can't happen anywhere. So I'm, I'm determined and I still have enough energy to try. But I also recognize... I'm pr- after this, I I can't keep doing that. I can't, you know, who knows if, how long I'll stay at this company, but I can't go, like, I can't go to another place and have to do this all, all over again. The next job that I choose where I will take my talent, they will have a proven track record of serving their black employees, lifting them up. And I, I can't settle for anything less. And I think for, and, a, and not everyone has that position or aren't in that position where they can mm-hmm. choose. You know, you just take the job that you need a paycheck. And Lord, you know, I'm saying I can do that now because I have a job. But hopefully I'm in a position where I can choose like that. And I I believe when the talent starts going to companies mm-hmm. that are demonstrating their commitment to racial issues and their commitment to inclusive hiring and retainment and all those things and pay parity, that's a clear message we can send. Because talent drives revenue, and revenue is what talks. And exactly, that's all what? I'm gonna say about that. Yeah, that was maybe good. I shouldn't. I maybe I shouldn't end it with the Bubba Gun. Bubba Gun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the end of life. <laughs> Accent. <laughs> um, I just I, I know we talk about corporate refugees, and and yeah, I, I just feel like th- for the long term success of Black Americans, and for not just success to not just get a job and get a paycheck, but to thrive to reach levels of success that haven't been attainable, we need these companies to get it and we need to get in the boardroom now, fast. It needs to happen um, so that future generations don't have to work this hard. And just because we're in the door does not mean that we've won. And there's so much work that companies can do. And uh, I, 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 they just have to get it. They just have to freaking get it. And I hope this is it. I hope this is it. Yeah. And then if they don't, don't be afraid to start something. Here's the thing. Small business drives this country. 
You know, mm-hmm. not everyone's going to be, you know, a, a Jeff Bezos, whatever. And that's okay. You might be a small business that can hire three employees, but then another small business, another three. You know, almost 50% of all employment in the United States it can be attributed to small business. So you can make a big difference with a small business. So knowing that you can create a safe space for people like you. So don't discount that as well. I feel like the budget nista is the Wakanda of businesses. <laughs> Right? I mean, oh, is that okay to say? It's not, it's not easy, Chad. It's not easy. It's but. not easy, but it's it's worth the work. And No, absolutely. Yeah. At least I think so. All right. Well, that is your heavy, heavy buzzworthy segment, y'all. <laughs> Let's take a quick break and come back with your questions. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Maybe question like singular because we had a heavy, <laughs> a long buzz for, buzzworthy segment. Segment. What you think? One question. Let's see. Well, the first one's kind of a. Comp- Let's start off with a compliment. You guys have been okay. so nice sending us so 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 many questions. I feel like we have a lot of new listeners too because other we have. I don't know. We've been tagged in more podcast listicles than I can name, which is <laughs> yes. fabulous. Like we'll yes. take all the free publicity. You feel guilty? Talk about our podcast. Get some <laughs> points. Um, but thank you and. T- to any new listeners, welcome. Here's a message from an Instagram listener. She says, I'm a longtime listener. Kudos. While binging some of your earlier shows, I came across a show where Tiffany told a story of a man who planted a farm of pecan trees, I think. Was it acorn tree, Tiffany? Um, I think it was palm trees. Keep keep, keep telling the story. I'll palm trees. Okay. <laughs> That's a very different type of tree. Okay. <laughs> Tiffany told the story of a man who planted a farm of pecan trees, I think, knowing that he would never reap the benefits, but instead- palm trees. Palm trees. Okay. Mm -hmm. Did it for his future generations. Mm -hmm. I have two middle school boys and I think about this story often because I wasn't raised this way. I was raised with the mindset, I got mine, now you need to get yours. Mm. I keep trying to explain this concept to my family, but I'm hit with, what if the kids don't do right by what is left for them? I want to play that part of the episode for my family since it resonated so close to me. Um, that was a really sweet comment, and it, yeah. that is such an important anecdote. So palm trees, okay. I don't yes. know why I thought well, it was acorns. Well, because um, palm oil in Nigeria is one of the most, it's like they call it liquid gold mm-hmm. because um, palm trees take almost like 100 years to reach full maturity before they can before they can um, yield the fruit where you can get the palm oil from. They use palm oil to cook. It's a, 
it's a um it's an oil that it's very popular for cooking in Africa. So that's why. So if you plant a palm tree now, you're not going to be able to you're never going to see in your lifetime that palm tree yield the palm fruit that yields the the palm oil. So for my uncle to have a farm that was that was um you know hundreds of trees deep, that means his great likely great grandfather planted that knowing I am not going to reap the rewards, but my grandson or my great-grandson or my great-great-grandson or my great-great-granddaughter, well, in Nigeria, it's grandson, unfortunately, but that um, that they'll reap the rewards. And so, yes, we have to think like that, that I always think not, not just when it comes to your family, I believe to whom much is given, much is required, and that in every blessing, there is excess, meaning that when you have something that that comes to you, your intelligence, your looks, your position, your money, whatever that is, it is meant for you to enjoy that blessing. Like, woohoo, yes, I'm so cute. Yes, fabulous. I'm so smart. Great. I've got money. Awesome. But there's excess in that blessing. That excess should be set aside to help others. And so I think if you keep that in mind, that's how we keep uh, blessings flowing. And the more you do that, the more you're given. People always ask all the time, like, Tiffany, you know, how did you get here? I mean, literally 10 years ago, I was a preschool teacher and now I run five businesses. One of them makes seven figures a month. That's crazy. How? And honestly, I attribute a lot of that to sticking to that, that in every blessing there's excess. So I'm very mindful of managing that excess and, and really trying to navigate living a life of service. And I think as you do more, more is given, then you do more, more is given and you do more, more is given. So yes. What do you Speak say- to your family? Yeah. What do you say to her, to the, what her family is saying in terms of like, well, what if the kids don't do right by what we leave for them? And so one of the things you have to do along with, you know, the leaving of the things for the kids is to, to, to talk to your children. So my father didn't just like leave us with like, you know, whatever financial things that he gave us as far as like paying for college and things like that. But we had regular talks. We had family meetings every single week where we talked about grades and and chores, but we also talked about finances and the family's finances. So we were really, those things were ingrained in us. And so you can't help how your kids turn out, but you can help what you put in. And so um, that's all I can say is that like, there's no guarantee for anything. You know, we might not even be here here tomorrow. There might be a meteor. Remember, they said there was killer bees coming this way. We were like, "What now?" I heard um, about a killer mosquito. <laughs> Is yes. that a thing? I don't know. I didn't <laughs> Google it. So, with all that said, you know, you do your best by pouring into them regularly, and so, um, you know, good good seeds bear good fruit. So, I'll just say that that there's no way to know for sure, but it's still be- better to pour in than not to. That's beautiful. And I think it's very, very important. This is a mentality. This is a, a a mentality shift for, I mean, I'm speaking for my family, my black, my black side, that sounds stupid, but whatever. My dad's family, there is this like, there is this, this, this lack of um, planning for the future because you're spending so much of your mental bandwidth trying to get through today trying to pay mm-hmm. this week's uh, this week's bills, next week's bills, you know, paycheck to paycheck. That's the classic definition of paycheck to paycheck. And we need to get to a place where we can think long-term for our children and and also see the value in planting seeds now and and understanding how, you know, it's not just it's not just about going and getting your minimum wage um, or getting your part-time job or whatever and and earning your hourly wage. You ha- We have to educate people, especially Black Americans, and it's your family. Educate your family if you know something about building wealth, how to invest, 
the, the importance of not trying to say homeownership is the best way to build wealth, but it is certainly a important way and a huge way to build wealth, um, generational wealth in this country. Life insurance, even we, t- we talked about life insurance and how that is not just about, I mean, that literally is ensuring that your heirs are taken care of. Your mm-hmm. children, whoever you have, doesn't have to be your child. It can be a charity. It can be a god's a goddaughter, a godson. It can be, uh, you know, a friend, whoever you want to leave your, you know, make your beneficiary. But these are really, I mean, this is how we, we chip away, chip away um, at not just income inequality, but generational wealth inequality. And I, I think about that all the time. Like, what am I building do I have enough to to reach beyond just, you know, my my son? Like, could I create something that my family, my children's 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 could benefit from? I mean, that would be a, a beautiful thing. Um, it, it's just a it's a big leap for mm-hmm. especially if you come up in a family where just getting through the today is an act of, you know, is you consider that to be a blessing. We need to just aim higher. Um, yes. Just remind him like, like Dame Dash, you know, Dame Dash. Well, I don't know if you know, cause you know, Mandy, sometimes you'd be surprised me. You don't know no millennial things. So Dame Dash was the manager of Jay-Z. Do you know? Did you yeah. know? Is it, wait, is he the, yes. Uh-huh. I'm just going to say yes before I say anything else. It makes me sound stupid. <laughs> no. So, um, so Dame Dash, manager of Jay-Z, he was, um, he's kind of like the wild boy of hip hop. Anyway, he was on a podcast and he said, I wish these young men, he didn't say young men, but that's what I'm going to say. I wish these young men and just really young people out here understood the purpose of work. The purpose of work is to own. It was so eloquently said because we forget you're not just supposed to be working for work's sake. Ownership equals wealth. You are supposed to work. Yeah, yeah, pay your bills. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go out and have fun. That's cool. But you are supposed to work to set aside money so you can save. And then you save so you can own, whether it's it's real estate, whether it's it's bonds, whether it's stocks, whether it's businesses, whether it's it's um rights to a book or 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 rights to your music. The purpose of work is to own. If you are not working toward ownership, you will always work. Because mm. eventually the things that you own, that this is the goal, you want to put them to work for you so they can replace you working. So you work to own, you might own 10 properties, and all of a sudden the the rent from those properties can replace your income and you can you can continue to work at your regular job or not. Or you work, 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 you start a business, all of a sudden the business can replace the the income from from your from your regular job. So just reminding yourself that that the purpose of work is to own. And so the things that you own can put you out of work. I love that. That's a way more eloquent way of saying it than my whole spiel. Girl, stop it. I stole that, I stole that from Dame Dash, girl. I stole that from Dame Dash. Dame Dash, but that's what I was saying. Um, well, thank you for your comment. It was sort of a comment slash question, but it's a really meaningful anecdote, especially in light of what's happening today. We've got to be helping teach generational wealth to to our families um, and mm-hmm. the importance of that. I'm going to inherit my dad's sock drawer, and who knows what I'm going to find in there. <laughs> a lot I of pe- a lot of rolled quarters, I imagine. <laughs> Bless his heart. Okay, he's a, he's a lost generation. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, cool. Well, thank you for your questions. Again, hit us up on Instagram. If you go to Brand Ambition Podcast, find us on the gram. Or you can email us at brandambitionpodcast at gmail.com. Dot com. Dot com.
So now it's time to boost a break for the BA family. New tune. Are you gonna boost? Are you gonna break? What you gonna do, Mandy? Ooh, I was flat at the end, but whatever. I think you <laughs> might still owe a cut to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> like, it's a little close. They're gonna have to settle that in court. <laughs> I'm gonna, do, myself I'm gonna do a boost. Okay. I'm gonna do a boost. So I feel, I mean, I feel like I've been just, I feel. I don't know. I feel some type of way about this, but I never knew that my alma mater had, and I don't know why. I mean, I guess you just living in Georgia growing up, you just have to, you just have to, you know, not look at things too deeply just to get through the damn day because there is so much intrinsic racism in, um, in that state, uh, bless, bless their hearts and all of their hearts. But anyway, I went to the university of Georgia and there are hella buildings on that campus that are named for people who own slaves, who are white supremacists, et cetera. My journalism school, I found out not too long ago, thanks to some high school students in Atlanta who started their own petition to get their high school renamed because mm. um, it was named for the same man that my journalism school was named. So I have to give the youth credit. They inspired um, someone on my campus to speak out about the name of our journalism school. And I have hopped right onto that. Well, I was dragged onto the bandwagon. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm on this task force now that we were working very hard to get the attention of the Board of Regents in our state to get this college renamed at a minimum this college and not just drop the name of the school and just call it the School of Journalism, but to in place of the name that we have now, uh, which is it's the school is named for Henry W. Grady, who was a white supremacist, but a famous a famous um, he had a, a famous uh, uh, newspaper called the Atlanta Constitution, which today is the Atlanta Journal Constitution. But he was a big deal. I see why his contributions to journalism were recognized by naming him for this building. However, he wanted to oppress the black race and talked about, of course, how white Americans were superior and gave speeches on this. And I mean, in 2020, do we really want to have a school named after him? I sure don't want to. I, I, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed that I didn't know this sooner. So we've got a petition, change.org. And I just want to boost the task force putting the, the putting the petition together and our next steps are to rally if we need to. I'm hoping we don't need to. I'm hoping that people help us make enough noise on social media that the pressure is boiling and that the university and the board of regents will just give us what we want and rename the school because why? Just do it. It's easy. Yeah. Um, it's simple. It's, it's a show of support and solidarity. But um, we are working very hard. And I'm, I'm going to post the link in our show notes. It's change.org slash rename Grady. You don't have to have gone to my school. I know y'all probably never heard of it, but please go and sign the petition because we're trying to get to at least 10,000 signatures this week. I don't, I think we're at 8,000 already. We're, we're catching up. Um, and I'm going to be tweeting and sharing on Instagram. And if y'all can retweet, if you can share my Insta tag, people that you may know in Georgia or anybody so that we can get more momentum behind this movement. I, I really, I feel this is a small contribution that I can make. And it's a small, it's, it's, it's sort of like I talked about us making an impact in our communities and our families. And this journalism school is my family. I mean, I've treated them like my family for so long. Um, and I think it's time for us to have a talk y'all like a little family meeting about the name of our college um, and get it right. But we can't do it without y'all's support. I am really, see, it, it, it's troubling. And you know how I talked about like, we kind of forget 
the microaggressions that we've mm -hmm. encountered over the years. And it's, it's bringing me back to all the things that happened to me while I was at UGA and talking to my brother about his experience there and how sort of, um, like how just resentful he is about his experience in some ways. There is a lot of systemic racism in Georgia and even at mm -hmm. the university that I come from, that I that I was educated by. And we we have, unfortunately, we have to break through to, again, the people in power to get them to make this change. So help me be the squeaky wheel. Help us get it out there. Check out my Insta. Check out on Twitter, Mandy Woodruff. Or my Instagram is at Mandy Money. Uh, and I could Mandy really... Mandy with an I. Oh, thank you, Mandy with an I. Hope my aunt is listening. It's with an eye. Um, yeah. And thank y'all in advance. And um, I will continue to have my son uh, provide free advertising for our cause. <laughs> and he is so adorable. I was like, look at him in his summer gear. Yes, Rio stunt. Oh, you saw it. Cool. He's, he gets way more likes than anything else I post. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, babies always do because he's adorable yeah. with those curls. It's a trick. <laughs> yeah. So I am going to boost... Um, so I had a really good like leadership lesson. Usually we've been like in business, there's always, um, you can always do better. So we've just been struggling with like kind of like new direction and, and how fast to grow and what ways to grow and, and just like how much to spend, how little to spend. Anyway, it's not been easy. It has not been easy. So as we struggled with it, I mean, I, I tried all the tools that I knew how. So finally I reached out to a friend and she said, hey, you know, one of our other mutual friends just brought on a business coach, like a high level business coach. And I was like, huh. So I called our mutual friend and she was like, oh my gosh, he's amazing. This business coach, it's not just him. He's got a whole team. He's not cheap, girl. And I was like, okay. So um, my business partner and I met with the coach. He was more amazing than honestly I anticipated. We had two kind of preliminary calls that were like an hour and some change each. And those were transformative. And so, you know, his price was not cheap. Let's just say you could get two really nice expensive cars for well, what he cost for two months. And well, I'll just say it's $70,000 for two months. Cause you know, me and my numbers, I don't care. Mm -hmm. um, well, but, you run a business. It's not like Tiffany is paying oh, out yeah, of her yeah. pocket, right? I mean, you can write yes. that off or whatever. You're fine. Mm -hmm. Seven but, figures. You make money. We heard. You tell us. <laughs> so, but still, that's a lot of money, you know? And, you know, but I'll say this. We've tried everything. And so we had our first uh, meeting on Friday. It was my business partner, I, and his team. And it was so great. What I really love is that he's equal parts the soft skills and equal parts like the hard things. So- He's got like a financial expert on his team that's going through our books. He's got a marketing, digital marketing expert that's going to be going through all of our campaigns and our spending. He um, also has HR expert to make sure everyone on the team is like is working in their genius zone and is, is actually happy. You know, then he's working with um, myself and my business partner. We're meeting with him weekly, individually and joint, and really just working on are we working in 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 spaces that bring us energy and what we can do to shift to make sure we're all working happily. It is so amazing. The it uh, it's just so amazing. And when I tell you already, he already said that you'll make your money back. Honestly, honestly, in, in with some of the changes, we'll make that money back in like two or three days, hands down. Just a few tweaks. I'm like, in two or three days, we'll see that money back. Um, so it was worth its weight in gold. And so I just share that because in all things, 
you might find yourself stuck and you might find that you've done all that you know how to do. And so there is no harm or shame in asking for help, big or small, um, because sometimes that is the thing. Because I kept telling myself, how do I not know how to fix it? And I'm like, well, no, I finally realized that what I was supposed to do is ask for help. It mm. was not meant for me to fix. It was meant for me to find an outside tool to come in to help fix this issue. Um, so yeah, honestly, I'm super excited. My business partner is super excited. The team is excited. And it just, yeah, I'm proud of myself for like reaching out and asking for help and like, you know, paying for help. Because sometimes, you know, especially as a new entrepreneur, you don't have any money. So it's, everything seems like a scam. But as you start to lean into business a little more, you grow to understand that some things cost nothing and they're amazing. Some things cost a little and they're amazing. And some things cost a hell of a lot of money and they're amazing. And being able to vet the difference. Um, like I said, worth its weight in gold. We will make that money back in, in, in two or three days max. So yeah, so just like boosting uh, like my business coach, um, his name is Zion. Um, and, and I, we did this last week. I talked about a, a, um, an Instagram, maybe I'll make this like a, a thing, an Instagram account that I think we could all use for some Musa. So I told you guys about wordy.talk on IG this time. I think I want you guys to follow, um, Tony Baker comedy, huh? Freaking hilarious. If you need a reprieve from all that is happening, he is hilarious. Um, he is a black comedian and he, I just, he's hilarious. So if you need yourself a giggle. Now he does post other, you know, he's very socially conscious. So you're going to see some Black Lives Matter. But in betwixt, in between, you are going to get your giggle on. Tony Baker Comedy on IG. Ooh, well, I'm going to respond to your first point, but you just made another one. Too. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I love that you're doing business coaching. And I feel like if I were an employee at the Budget Nista, I would be so excited and so motivated because... I mean, I feel like the way that you're feeling trickles down to your employees. And if you're feeling like, you know, you're you're stymied or whatever, you're not happy with certain things, um, they're probably feeling that too. And it's nice to know that they were, I would say, if I were you, I'm like, look at Tiffany. She is, she, she is humble enough to admit when she needs help. And she also is not just doing this for herself, but it's also for the company. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, you wouldn't do open heart surgery on your own body, right? Yeah. Um, and I think, I mean, this just sounds like a really smart business decision. And it's also something that I think a lot of companies can be doing. This is why consultants are important. I know that cons everyone thinks of consultants like, oh, it's a scam. But genuinely mm -hmm. having a fresh pair of eyes on the way you've been yes. doing your every day is so, I mean, I had one of, one of my favorite professional relationships was a former content director from a company that we acquired who was kept on as a consultant. And she literally just became my coach for six months. Mm. And just having someone else to talk to at your level, who's not someone that reports to you or something like that, or there's, you know, or, or a friend in your company that, you know, it's just, it's going to be, I'm excited. And I'm also excited for you to share the advice that you get from this person so we can get it for free at Sprout Ambition. <laughs> no, uh -huh. and I certainly will. Yes, absolutely. I would mm. say first things first, just one of the things that helped me is um, identify, he asked us to identify the things that you do that give you energy like, you know, for the business and the things that you do that take away energy. That was, for me, that was life-changing. I was like, huh, what are the parts that I really like? And I didn't, and I it made me realize that uh, I'm going to make a huge shift and change. I already, I'm going to let the team know before I let y'all know. So, because, you know, because okay. Jonalise be listening. Like, what? I see you 
out of it. It's like, ooh, spill the tea. Girl, I will do it at team meeting. Um, but so she's like, Jadalise is on our team. She she works for works for works with us. Um, so yeah, it made me realize, huh? Wow. When I started to really think about the things that gave me energy and the things that took away energy, and it made me realize that I need to be in a different position. Um, so that's something I'll leave you with. That that was a huge, huge, huge um, shift. So, so yeah, it. that was awesome. And I love that his name is Zion. I'm not. I re- know that sounds biblical and powerful. When I I know, because doesn't Zion mean like paradise or like the promised land? Don't ask I me. I don't really not really religious, <laughs> but it I'm sounds important. In like Rastafarian religion, that's what that's what I remember. Um, mm. Lauren Hill. She has that song, and the joy of my world is in Zion. Her son. She named her son Zion. It's like a lot father. of hospitals are named Mount Zion. I feel like yes, it's like a name. It is. It, it's powerful. Uh, it is powerful. So. <laughs> yeah, Zion is coming to the the Budjanista Wakanda, w- yeah. Wakanda. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oof. Okay. Oof. Well. All right. Well, I'm again grateful for this hour that I get to spend with you every week, hour and a half, because yes. you know we we uh, chit chat before the show. But um, <laughs> yeah, thank you, and thank you for continuing to share your stories, Tiff. Um, no, thank you. Have you. been doing it for so long, and I feel like I have been working for so long, and you feel like you're working. Uh, well, it's like. People recognizing your value is never too late, I feel like. And even though it seems like people may be recognizing the value now because it's trendy or it's mainstream now or whatever, and, oh, we need to align ourselves with people like the Budgetista or, hey, we want to promote people like Mandy. I mean, I'm going to take that promotion. That's okay. Um, (laughs) Because we want to elevate women. Like, take it. Whatever. Like, they're here. They're wanting to give. um, Ask and take it. And don't feel guilty about that. Um, because ultimately that is the goal, right? For each other and everyone to be lifted up and amplified. And I I hope this continues. And one last thing I will say to your point about the comedian that you mentioned, I love that he addresses Black Lives Matter, but then also makes you laugh. We have got to laugh. Yes, we do. We, we have, have got, got to, to, what do you say, woosah? We have got to woosah. Mm-hmm. You have to woosah and then get back at it. I made a rule for myself that if the group chat goes a day or two without mentioning anything happening with BLM, I'll bring it back just because I don't want people to forget and I don't want Mm -hmm. people to get too comfortable with, uh, you know, ignoring it again because that is very important. But I also, you have to allow yourself some levity. And Yes. There is so much joy to be had. There is. There is. There's a lot of shit. There always has been a lot of shit. Um, We will get through this. We we always do. Um, But you've got to give yourself some grace, have a, have a giggle. I hope this, I hope this show is a little bit of a reprieve for you. Um, but yeah, keep it, just keep try, just try, just try and keep saying we're all doing our very best. Mm-hmm. I'm all done Amanda, now. As for you, love you girl. Oh, I love you too. Virtual hug. I don't, you already know. Someone hit me the other day and she was like, so I know you don't like hugs, but I'm sending you one Squeeze. anyway. <laughs> If you're an OG listener, you know I'm not really a huggy person, but Mandy insists upon it. So I'm like, okay, girl. <laughs> I can't wait to actually. Well, I feel like we've been socially distanced for a few years now from each other. <laughs> I know. When are we ever going to see each other again? Oh, my God. We will. We will. Let's see. You got to meet my baby. What? I know.
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.